You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. And it's a bye week, Gabby. So we are going to talk a little bit about, you know, our thoughts from the Virginia game after re-watching it, the 30-28 tough loss uh, by Miami last Thursday night. Um, also, I think, talk some big picture topics Uh touch on recruiting since it's a bye week uh what's going on with recruiting right now uh i think we'll talk about too just what are some areas maybe miami can improve after this bye week um you know is there personnel changes that that can help the team out moving forward in our opinions and then we're just going to talk about you know the obvious topic of manny diaz uh and his his needing to, um, I guess, just flat out, he's coaching for his job uh, over the next three games, right? The seat is getting warmer, and we will discuss what we expect here during this basically second half of the season. Not quite halfway, but pretty much this bye week signifies the halfway point of the season. So we'll touch on all those fun topics and uh, get out of here. And and hopefully everyone enjoys getting to watch other college football during this Miami bye week. So let's start uh, just with the Virginia game, Gabby. I'll let you have the floor first, just whatever you want to touch on uh, that you feel like you noticed uh, more in depth compared to watching the game live. Yeah. I mean, honestly, after watching back, like it's kind of crazy to me that Miami really had a chance to win the game at the end. Like, I mean, just watching the first half, it's like, I mean, just, just rewatching the game. Like the offense was, was horrible. Like at the four minute mark of the second quarter, they had 41 total yards. Like that you're putting yourself in a really, really bad position in doing that. You know, and just the fact that they still had a chance to, you know, potentially walk it off with a field goal um, is, is honestly kind of like it was is just kind of like eye opening to me. I know watching it live, it's like, yeah, uh, we knew it was bad. But just to like watch it back and it's just like, I mean, this, this team should let me ask you this, because I think there's a lot of different. It's not just one thing. Right. But yeah, no, it's not. Obviously, the offense was bad in the at the start, you know. First start jitters of Tyler Van Dyke. I think we're at play. Uh, I think, you know, there was lots of factors, but things did start to click. I think after that Corey flag interception, uh, Van Dyke had the nice little corner route touchdown, which is his best throw, I think is fair to say, right? We saw him throw that touchdown basically to Restrepo in the spring. And we saw it wasn't quite a corner. It was more of an out. 
the previous week to Mike Harley against Central Connecticut State. So he likes that throw when he's, you know, around the 15-yard line. Um, so that kind of got things going for the offense from that point on. But if you were going to pinpoint one reason why you feel like the offense did start clicking better in the second half, what would you point? Because I'll tell you what I think it is. I, I think it's the offensive line. I think the offensive line, for whatever reason, started playing better. I think that's partly because Virginia's front seven is not very good. Um, but both things can be true, I think, right? Miami's offensive line started playing more consistently. They started to find more success running the ball, hold, holding their blocks, uh, which allowed them to get into their tempo, which, number one, tired out the Virginia defense, and number two, caused them to get misaligned uh, when Miami did, did find their rhythm. So to me, I mean, maybe this is obvious, I don't know, but like once the offensive line started playing at an acceptable level in that game, and honestly, borderline good level, now you have to take the opponent into account here, but still, they were playing good against a bad Virginia front seven. To me, that's when we started to see that offense go. Van Dyke had more time to operate. Uh, the rushing lanes were there and things got rolling. Would you agree with that? Or do, do you feel like there was other factors that kind of allowed things to get rolling there in the second half? I mean, I think that's exactly it. Like, it's crazy what you can do when, you know, the offensive line gives you a, when they give you a shot, really, it felt like a lot of right. times in the first half, like, I mean, Van Dyke, again, you consider the, the first start jitters and all that stuff. And then you also throw in the fact that, you know, he's just not getting a ton of time, a ton of just like, just a lot of pressure in his face, a lot of that type of stuff. And it's just like, it's just a recipe for disaster. And it felt like that was much improved in the second half. I mean, I thought a part of that could just be, you know, Virginia's defensive front getting worn down a little bit. Again, yeah. that led to the offensive line playing better, opened up the run lanes and we saw the big Cam Harris run. Um, you know, I thought that the, just the running game in general in the second half was much better. And, you know, that's what this offense is sort of about, right? Like it's always yeah. been like, you know, you need, yeah, pass to run the ball. Exactly. Just like you have to be able to do those things. And when you're able to do it, you see how it's, how all the dots start sort of connecting and it's like, oh, here, like, you know, this is the success. Like, you know, this is the product of X, Y, and Z happening properly. So, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a huge, that was a huge factor in what we saw in the second half from the Miami offense, but it, you know, it, it's a four quarter game, you know, like they need to find a way Absolutely. to find, to just get this going sooner, man. Like, it, it, I mean, you're, you're just, they're just putting themselves in such bad spots. Like you play the second half for four quarters and I don't, I'm not sure if this is a close game, you know, like. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it's just it, it was frustrating to watch. Miami, was, to that. Miami is the better team on paper. I don't think they played like the better team uh, for four quarters. Like you're saying they did for one and three fourths quarters. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely. Miami is the better. And that's what was disappointing about losing to Virginia. Even though you are without De'Ara King, if Miami plays up to their level, they should, they should still beat that Virginia team. That Virginia team is average outside of, I would say Brennan Armstrong is a good, ACC quarterback. Um, but even him, you know, Miami did a good job against him really. Yeah. Um, outside of him, like who's out there changing a game. Uh, 
So let me ask you this, just building on the offensive line, because it was, it, they've basically from the start of the year due to either injuries or performance, I think it's a little bit of both, right? They've, they've tinkered with their lineups. Do we think this lineup can have success against above average front sevens? Because, okay, so Ja'Kai Clark is now the starting center and Jared Williams appears to be cementing himself at right tackle again. You know, he was the, the right tackle last year. I think, you know, against Virginia, which again, what do we make of it? Because Virginia is not very good in the front seven defensively. Do we think this is like, are they going to find answers in the run game and specifically in terms of holding blocks or just straight up generating push up front? Can those guys get it done against North Carolina, NC State, Pitt, or do you need to see it before you believe it? Because I kind of need to see it before I believe it. If I'm, I think it's the way to go. I just don't know if their issues there are necessarily fixed with these moves. Yeah, and it's just like... <laughs> what what number rotation is this you know like at some point you need to just try to like figure it out and just i i mean you gotta i understand you gotta mix and match it until you get it right but like it feels like nothing's right at this point so it's just like what works best and you know it feels like jared williams at right tackle i mean he's graded out super well um you know jakai clark at center i mean i guess it's been a a better move i mean i think losing jalen rivers you know really sucks and, right. uh, you know, I think I do think that that hurts, but I mean, you kind of have to work with what you, with what you got right now. And it seems like, you know, just again, watching the second half of that Virginia game, that this is the lineup that probably works the best, but I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh yeah, like th- these it's are fixed. the guys. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's done. So, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, Dave, I'm with you, man. Wait and see, just like, can these guys get it done? I wouldn't be surprised to see more mix and matching, man. I mean, you still got Justice Oluwashan that, you know, I feel like has sort of found his way in and out of the mix at times. Like, I wouldn't right. be surprised to see him back in there at some point. Um, I mean, after him, I'm not really sure where else you go. But, right. um, I mean, I guess there is a few guys if you want to really just sort of reach your hand down and try to grab a one of those dudes that probably hasn't done much yet, like a Cleveland Reed type or uh, Usman Treor or any one of those guys that, I mean – I don't know how much better that would be. I can't imagine it would be any, any better. Right. I agree. Um, let me touch on some notes I had just on, on offense before we kind of get into the defense and you can either agree, disagree, you know, we can have a discussion if you want, but uh, offensively, you know, obviously Rambo was great. We knew that as soon as the game ended uh, need that number two guy to step up. I think whoever that is, I mean, it was kind of Mike Harley, I guess. And, and he did make a nice play. I guess when I say number two guy, I mean another outside receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, it was disappointing that Romello Brinson had a drop. Yeah. That would have been, I think, a very big game. He had a lot of yards after catch there. I think it was a third down too, right? It was. And, you know, hopefully that's just freshman stuff. But again, it's frustrating to see the drops no matter who is in there. Um, but and it's strange for me to say this, and I don't know if I'm just doing the new shiny toy thing here, but to me, it, it was pretty clear that Jalen Knighton has a better, is better than Cameron Harris in terms of, uh, you know, setting up blocks with his patience and vision, and then his burst to top speed, um, I think is noticeably different. 
Now, Cam Harris certainly produced at a much higher level in that game. I, you know, there were those, there were bigger run lanes for Cam Harris to run through. Um, but I think Jalen did a better job of making something out of nothing. And so that is one area where I am encouraged, I guess, moving forward with the run game. And Jalen outrushed, I think, by one carry, Cam Harris. So maybe that tells you what the coaching staff. And I, I thought it was interesting. And who knows if this is all PR spin. But the sideline reporter for ESPN during the game said that the coaching staff told him, uh, you know, that they expected Jalen Knighton to be their number one back this year, you know, before I guess they knew they had to suspend him, whenever that was. Um, so. I mean, I was very encouraged by Jalen Knighton, even though the production didn't blow you away. He was extremely close to popping some runs. And I think, I think there's that element there. Whereas like Cam Harris needs a wide open run lane. And he has tremendous breakaway speed when he does, when he has that lane. Uh, Jalen, I think can make guys miss break a tackle and pull away for a breakout touchdown run did you did you feel that way after re-watching it I mean I, I just I thought Jalen like what you're saying I thought he was like a like close missed tackle away from breaking away like on a couple runs like yeah. he had a couple that he got hit like on the foot or something like that or just barely got touched like where if he got away from that one like you saw like you could see the lane where he's just kind of gone and I think that that's what's super intriguing about him is just like I just feel like he's just different, man. Like Cam Harris, like we were saying, is sort of like the the situation needs to sort of be right for Cameron Harris to have that huge explosive right. run that, you know, he, he takes off. And once he gets in space like that, you know, he does have that top end speed. I feel like Jalen Knighton is more like of like the shiftier guy that was just more of just like finding those holes rather than just waiting right. for them to just open up. And again, just like, I mean, I was, I was having this conversation with someone like it, it, it felt like he was going to like break one. Like it felt like Jalen, like Jalen Knighton is like on the verge of like sort of just really, again, this being his first game back, like it feels like he could be a guy that once he gets into his groove that he, I could easily, I mean, you're saying I, I didn't hear that on the, on the call or anything like that, but I mean, it wouldn't be super surprising to see for me to see Jalen Knight and sort of take over just based on what we saw. I think it gives you a better chance when your offensive line doesn't, Yes. Do what it needs to do. I think Jalen Knighton, just the way he sort of operates and moves around, I think he absolutely gives you a better chance to, you know, sort of combat like those deficiencies to still gain positive yards. I think Cameron Harris, when that happens, it's just, it's a dead play. Like, I'm not sure he right. he is the guy that's going to get you out of a situation. I feel like Jalen Knighton has the tools to potentially get you out of a bad situation. My other quick takeaway for an offensive guy is, uh, Elijah Royo, I want to see more of him. I, I'm, I'm frustrated by the constant drops of Will Mallory. And honestly, too, I, I'm frustrated by Will, Mallory, Will Mallory's run blocking. Um, I think already, and this says more about Elijah Royo, I guess, than Will Mallory. But I think Elijah already is a better run blocker than Will Mallory. He's just stronger at the point of attack. Um, and, and if Will Mallory continues to have these drop issues, what are we doing here? You know, I, it's interesting because Will Mallory, 
you know, the, the two guys who have the two most, the two highest snap counts on offense right now for this season, two offensive linemen, which makes sense with De'Ara King also, you know, being hurt. But Zion Nelson, Navon Donaldson have the most snap counts. Number three on the team is Will Mallory. And at some point, you got to recognize what the performance is. And I, I think it's time to take some of Will's snaps and give them to Elijah Arroyo. I'm kind of at that point. Youth movement, baby. I'm ready for it all. <laughs> just, get, just, give me, just give me Elijah Arroyo season. I'm, re- I'm ready for it. I'm ready for, I'm ready for all that. Yeah. And Manny Diaz claims he is as well. So we'll see. Um, defensively, I'll let you, uh, I don't have anything else on offense. Do you? No. Nah, nah. Defensively, what do you want to touch on? I mean, I thought it was super disappointing. Just like I get Brennan Armstrong is like mobile and stuff like that. But I thought there was so many opportunities yeah. to get him on the ground that they just let him run, especially like on third downs too, where it's just like, they just let him escape the pocket and just like, we're in position to make the tackle. Like you, 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 if you're Brendan Armstrong, you're looking around, like I'm in trouble. And it's just like, Oh, here, I'm going to sneak by and just like run. Was there, was there a consistent offender in, in your opinion? Like a guy who kept just missing him? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd have to like really like look in. Like I don't know. I don't, I just noticed that it happened. I didn't see like oh this yeah. guy was missing. I don't know if you spotted anyone, David, that you could throw well, in there. But I just saw that it happened often, and I was just it like, did. Oh. And I'll say this: I first want to start with praising him because I I do think, in my opinion, and, and I'm not saying he was necessarily good by the Miami standard, but I do think it's the best game we've seen him play so far at Miami. I think Corey Flag overall played a good game. You know, obviously that pick was huge, showed nice instincts and he did flash some nice run support ability. Wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong, but I think it was his best game as a Miami hurricane. But one area where I do think he struggled a lot was you could tell they had QB spies um, on Brennan Armstrong and, and a lot of obvious passing situations. And he, he let Armstrong break from the pocket, break contain. And I guess it's just an athleticism issue. I don't know. He couldn't, he couldn't, you know, either force Brennan to uh, turn or cut up field into the pursuit or get him on the ground period. So it was frustrating at times watching Corey flag struggle in the QB spy game, but overall, I think it was a good game uh, in terms of, what Corey flag has shown us so far during his UM career to, to build on your point. I agree that the miss sacks were, were frustrating and we knew this too, after the game, but just watching it again was, was frustrating, but the, the missed opportunities to just make plays in terms of mm-hmm. interceptions. Yeah. Right. And those intercept two of them, you know, I think there was three obvious ones. Uh, Cam kitchens early on, you know, made a tremendous read. So credit to Cam for having those instincts. Didn't come up with the pick in the end zone and Virginia goes on to score a touchdown, right? So that's a tough swing. Got to make those plays. Obviously the Marcus Clark one, we know what happened there. I mean, that was somewhat fluky. Again, Marcus made a great play on the ball. Uh, The ball bounced in an unfortunate way, led to a touchdown. And then fourth quarter, uh, 
to Corey Couch, had a chance to pick off a pass on third down, which forced Virginia to punt. So that one ultimately didn't matter, but the field position, I guess, would have been better if Couch had just picked it off. And I think that was the last drive, so maybe Miami gets a touchdown there instead of a field goal. That's a big what if. But, uh, you know, this defense, man, it's just it doesn't make plays so far, Um, whether that is sacks or that is turnovers. And turnovers are fluky. Um, You know, I think more specifically, fumble recoveries are fluky. but in terms of like interceptions, when you get your hands on some balls, which these guys did, you got to come down with them. You got to make the offense pay. It's just like frustrating because, like, you, again, you have the opportunities. And it's just like little things like that. Like, it's just what you're saying, David. Like, the overall playmaking ability is not there. Like, you had the one turnover. Like, I don't know if they've had a game with multiple turnovers this, this year yet. They're not getting no. the quarterback, not sacking the quarterback. Like they're not forcing, they're not really forcing fumbles either. Like it is, it might be a little fluky, but it's not like they're giving themselves a chance either. And I don't right. know, man. I don't know. It's just, it's just uh, the defense. It's like, and I feel like you see the flashes where they can be really good. Like, again, I thought Brendan Armstrong, I mean, might've had his worst statistical game. Like, I'm not sure yes. if like that was like, like, you know, I feel like they did a good job with him in they general, did. just considering how he's played throughout the course of the year. I didn't think Correct. they did a, a bad job, like specifically in the first half. They had that touchdown there at the end of the first half, which was sort of brutal. But, um, you know, I thought they did a really good job, you know, for the most part. It's just like that inability to make that big, like game-changing play. I thought, I mean, you saw what the one the one big play that they did make, how significantly it shifted the momentum. Oh, yeah. The flag interception. Like you make that play and look at – how that stacked into the rest of the game and just like that, that that was the one point where the game changed and it's like you stack one of those plays with a second one of those plays potentially a third and i mean that's how you win right. games like that's how you change the game and especially this team, not seeing it. yeah exactly this team's not good enough to just straight up line up and beat a lot of mm-hmm. teams right they need that's what those they've turnovers. had to do that's, that's right, what they've right. had to do a lot this year and that's why they're two and three right Let's just quick points, I guess, defensive players, Leonard Taylor, um, guy's a freak. I mean, he, yeah. uh, like it, it's pretty obvious. Like if you, if you and I had to point out, like make a bet, you can take any player on the roster. Who's going to be a first round NFL draft pick. I think it's obvious. It's Leonard Taylor. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah. It's very, very obvious. The way he moves just fluidity. And his explosive acceleration uh, for his size, the way he can chase. I mean, there was a lot of plays. He, he doesn't know quite what he's doing. That's pretty clear. But he still gives tremendous effort and can chase his way back into plays, you know, from the backside. Because he's just a freak athlete at his size. Um, and, and honestly, his production was very impressive. Um, you know, I think he was credited from pro football focus with three pressures and he only played 14 pass rushing snaps. That is a ridiculous rate, um, for a defensive end, let alone a defensive tackle, like defensive tackles are elite. If they get a a pressure for every 10 pass rushing snaps. Um, so he is a freak. He needs to play more. I get it. You know, sometimes he plays out of his gap, but I think the upside of, of him changing games, which he came up with a big tackle for loss. 
in the uh, fourth quarter, you got to just live with the, the little freshman mistakes he, he makes. And, and on the flip side too, it's not like, like Nesta, you know, Nesta's frustrating. If we're going to be honest, he, he had, he has very good games and he has some poor performances. I thought this Virginia game was a poor performance. He's very up and down from week to week. Um, you know, I guess my point is like, yes, does Leonard make some mistakes? Yes, but it's not like, I mean, other than Jared Harrison Hunt, who I think has been pretty consistently good this year, it's not like the other guys are just super consistently good as well. So more Leonard Taylor. I'm sure you would agree. Mm-hmm. 100%. I also think it's worth highlighting Elijah Roberts. You know, there's something there. He flashes, yeah. makes plays. Need to see more of him. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. It seems like they like him as kind of a swing player, or maybe it's just one of those situations where he's an edge guy, and then on third down and obvious passing situations, they kick him inside to take advantage of his athleticism against guards and centers. Um, but whatever he is, I, I, it's good to get him on the field more because he is flashing and making plays um, when he is on the field. Um let me see. I thought it was interesting. We did see a lot of Cam Kitchens, you know, yeah. and they moved him around. You know, he had 10 snaps in the box. He had 12 snaps as a free safety and he had 11 snaps in the slot. So, you know, I, there's a lot of excitement about James Williams right now. And I totally get that. And I agree with it. I think there's equal reason to be excited about what Cam Kitchens is doing out here. I think, I think he's a big time player. I don't know from what he's shown so far, just super consistent, very instinctual. You know, I think when he committed, Andrew and I compared him to Jaquan Johnson. I think we might've even said poor man's Jaquan Johnson, which I think still might be fair, but I don't know if it's even poor man's, you know, I think he's going to be that type of player for Miami's defense when he gets older. So, uh, and, and honestly too, I would like to see more Marcus Clark. I'm intrigued, you know, the ability, you know, he has a receiver background dating back to high school. So he does know how to make plays on the ball and, and, you know, his, he showed the knack to go up and get the ball. He couldn't finish with it, which again was frustrating, but very characteristic of a wide receiver at Miami, right? (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But on the flip side, like what Miami corners have shown that ability to go up and find the ball and attack it like that. Right. So there's something there I'm intrigued by, and I'd like to kind of see more of it, see how it looks. Um, Last thing I'll, I'll say about the defense, you know, I think the missed tackles, obviously getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. I don't think it was necessarily improved against Virginia. I think that was more just like the caliber of opponent, not necessarily having elite skill talent. Um, But one thing I think that is kind of, I don't know if it's equally as alarming, but kind of going unnoticed and is bad for the defense is third down. Um, Right now, Miami's defense ranks 104th in the country, allowing basically 44% third downs to be converted when you take out that central connecticut game that number goes up to 48 percent 
So that's obviously it's basically, it's basically a toss up whether Miami's going to stop a right they're down at this point. And and you know when you combine that with tackling, that's where it's tough to really back what Manny Diaz is doing right now because um, he's the defensive guy, and you know this is a tackling game. That's the essence of football. So if your team can't tackle, what are we doing? And if your team can't get off the field on third down and you're a defensive coach that's been recruiting this talent for five or six years now, um, to me, that's like third down is all about coaching. So it's that's and we'll get into it later, but Miami's facing some pretty good offenses here in these next three games. So that's going to be a number to watch. If that number's still at like 50%, you know, regardless of what Miami's quarterback situation is for themselves, you're not going to, you're not going to beat these teams if they're converting 50% plus of their third down uh, situation. So anything else to touch on with Virginia on defense or special teams or whatever, or do you want to move on? I mean, I can just throw one, throw in one really quick thing. Um, I'm yeah. I think, I think I'm good on Gervin Hall. From this point on, like I think, uh, I think I've seen everything I've needed to see at this point. It's like, and especially the him working at the slot a lot. I just don't think that that worked. Well, I like wonder. I, I agree. I don't know if that was necessarily great. I wonder though if that was an adjustment because Amari Carter was out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could have been. So that's how I view it. I mean, we haven't been able to talk to Miami's not talking during this bye week, so. I don't know if that's necessarily what it was, but that's my read on it. Like Amari Carter was out. Let's put Gervin there in that role rather than make Gilbert play it the whole game, you know, because I don't think they're comfortable yet with Chase Smith there. And quite frankly, I don't know if Chase Smith is a striker. I think yeah. he's more of a, I view him more as a linebacker in terms of skill talent, but he's not a linebacker. So whatever. Um <laughs> Different conversation. <laughs> recruiting. Uh, you've, you've written plenty about recruiting. I think the main topic, what, should we, what we should start with now, you know, keeping the commits. And Miami only has nine commits. I think last I looked, Miami was what, ranked 45th, 44th in the country. Uh, again, there's quality there. They have a lot of four-star guys who I think are talented, are good players but there is not quantity at all. And they're at this tipping point kind of, of, okay, are you going to take lesser caliber players now moving forward to kind of check that quantity box? Uh, or are you going to go to the transfer portal? Um, and are you going to be able to hold these commits period? Cause you're off to a two and three start. So I guess we don't have to go through every single one. You can basically just tell us which commits do you have your eye on in terms of, okay, this is who the fans need to know about in terms of this guy might be a flip candidate moving forward. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but if things don't change, these are the guys to know. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely preface that by sort of doubling down on that, David. Like, I'm not sure that if, the, if there's anything to worry about quite yet, Um, you know, I think Miami still feels pretty good about all of these guys and, you know, where they sort of stand and the conversations that they've had with them. Um, one guy I'm sort of looking at right now is probably Chris Graves. 
Um, you know, he's the four-star cornerback out of Fort Myers, Bishop Verreau. Uh, he's going to go watch a game at Florida this weekend. Again, Florida was one of his finalists along with South Carolina and LSU. Um, you know, I, I, when I sort of, after the Michigan State loss, when I sort of like pulled the recruits, just be like, hey, man, like, you know, how are you guys feeling? He was probably the one that was probably the most blunt. Uh, the most honest about the right. fact that he felt like, you know, the younger guys should be getting more of a chance, which they have from that point on, you know, in fair, just in fairness, like I feel like a lot of young guys have gotten opportunities since then. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some, something else to consider here, which again, may be a factor, may not be a factor. He is technically supposed to be like a 2023. So he is still maybe a little bit younger, um, could potentially be a little bit more impressionable and stuff like that. I feel like he's one of those guys that, you know, other schools could sort of get after and be like, yeah, I think it'd be much easier to sell him on the fact that Miami's not winning and, uh, you know, that there's other opportunity elsewhere. Um, again, I, just, I mean, I don't think that there's anything to worry about. I mean, from what I understand, uh, you know, his family is just 100% on board with Miami. I know the mom and cornerbacks coach Marcus Van Dyke have a very tight relationship. So, you know, I don't think that there's a ton to worry about, but he is going to be at Florida this weekend again. And, uh, you know, right. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he takes That's another visit or two. Yeah, I, I think that he's going to be one that, that Miami's going to be, you know, constantly having to reassure or just fight for or have to, right. you know, explain themselves to and things like that. But again, Malik Curtis is his cousin uh, at Miami, obviously, playing a lot on special teams, which is good to see. Right. Um, and then Graves and, you know, the Curtis family are very close as well. So, you know, there is a lot of Miami support in his camp, but I think for him personally, he might be not, maybe not second guessing at this point, but maybe start just looking around right. a little bit. Right, right, right. And, and who else? Cause you mentioned another commit also kind of visiting potentially another school this weekend. Of me that I mentioned the, another Another commit was visiting. Chris well, Graves Traquan, is the one that. Traquan Fegans is he not uh, planning to visit another school? Oh, he visited. He went. He was at. Oh, he did uh, visit. Yeah, he did. Sorry, you freaked. I was like, wait, what happened? Uh, Traquan Fegans visited Alabama for the Ole Miss game. Um, you know, he does have a younger brother that is, you know, already has multiple Power Five offers. Again, I don't. I, he's one I'm not like super worried about, and you know, again, I I think we'll see. Uh, you know, okay. as the season goes on with some of these SEC schools, I think, you know, Alabama is probably, again, a team to watch. But I think that they're still working through their cornerback board. I'm not sure anything on Alabama's end has necessarily changed in terms of the targets that they're sort of still going after. Um, you know, again, I think if things do change, I think Traquan Fegans is a guy that they could easily pivot to. Um, but again, his little brother is a power five prospect in that freshman okay. class. And you know, Alabama is the in-state school. You know, he has offers from Georgia, uh, Florida, South Carolina, Miami already. So, you know, I think he's going to go see games, you know, with his brother. Again, everything that I've been able to understand about the Traquan Fegan situation is that he's he's locked in and, uh, you know, he's excited to come down here. I know the, the prospect of him playing early as a freshman, which I think he's a very good candidate to do, especially as an right. early enrollee. I think he's a guy that can come in here and contribute. I do think that that's very intriguing for him. And I think that opportunity is one that he's looking forward to. So again, things can change if things for Miami continue to trend downward. Uh, but I think as things stand right now, I'm not super worried about Traquan Fegans okay. and uh, that commitment. And yeah, we feel like everyone else in terms of right now, 
fairly solid for for the rest of the commits. So let's turn to the targets, right? Um, what do you feel like is the most realistic? Like if you're gonna say, and we're, and we're talking legit targets, right? Big mm -hmm. time players, uh, not plan Bs. Uh, if you had to say, you still feel like Miami has the best shot to land this big time target, who would you point out? Man, I would probably, I would probably go towards, I would probably go to, towards Wesley Besaint, uh, the yeah. Miami Central linebacker. Um, you know, again, I just, I, I, this is, you know, just based on conversations, this is like my Manny Diaz's guy, you know, he went to go see him at that Northwestern Central game, you know, in person, like Manny Diaz wanted to be there. You know, I, he's been to three Miami games. He was, he showed up to the Virginia game when he was not scheduled to be there. He surprised people at Miami when he showed up there, um, you know, and that's coming straight off of his Florida state official visit. So just for him to sort of make that, that decision to go on a Thursday night where he was playing his high school's biggest game of the season that Friday, um, I think says a lot. Again, then Manny Diaz goes and gets some more face time with him that Friday night at Tras Powell as when, it's, when it's his team beat Northwestern. Um, you know, I would probably still put Wesley Besaint as a, a target that I think Miami does a, a pretty good shot at at this point or the best shot at of, uh, you know, some of the top guys. Let's say, well, let's just be blunt, I guess. Has, has the start to this season totally messed up Miami's chances with like Shamar Stewart, uh, the five-star defensive end, top, you know, top 100 defensive end, Nigel Lee Kelly. Anthony Lucas, those three guys in particular, because Miami needs to stack talent on the defensive line. Um, and, and in the summer, I think they were in a good spot with all three guys and probably, I would say, potentially even leading for maybe Shamar and Nigelique. Um, where are things at now, in your opinion, with, you know, after Miami's two and three start? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say out of the three, I probably feel best about Nigelique. Um, you know, with Shamar, he has he has options, man. I mean, just just imagine you yourself being a recruit, and on Thursday night you go watch Miami lose to Virginia at home, and then on Saturday uh, you're up in Athens, Georgia, and you're watching that defense pitch a shutout against the top ten team in the country. Um, you know, I I just think Miami definitely has their work cut out with the, uh, for them with Shamar. Again, Texas A&M, I feel like is in the mix too, but hey, that's another program that maybe he didn't expect to struggle that is now right. struggling. You know, uh, I, I feel like in a sense, I think a lot of these kids have to sort of look around and just sort of say, you know what, this sort of happens. I mean, even some of these kids looking at Oregon, I mean, Oregon loses to an unranked Stanford team. Like if, if you're not at the tippy tippy top of the college football world, I mean, these types of things happen all the time. So, um, you know, I think that Miami's gotten maybe a little bit of help from those, those types of schools where it's just like, all right, you're seeing that these people also, you know, struggle as well. I mean, it's just a universal thing, but, um, you know, I, I don't think Miami's doing anything to help themselves. I mean, with Anthony Lucas, you bring him in here from the Michigan state game and, you know, they get beat the way that they beat. And, you know, maybe you can point back to Michigan state big, Hey, look, that's a top, a top 15 team in the country right now and say, you know what, maybe they were, maybe that was just a really good team. Um, but I mean, feeling worse about those guys at this point than I probably was coming than well, definitely than I was coming into the season. But um, you know, Nigel e. Kelly still you know continues to come around and sort of be around the program and stuff like that. So I think that's always a positive. And Oregon's probably the top competition for Nigel Leak, would you say? 
Yeah, I would say Oregon. Maybe Florida. Um, yeah, he's going to go see Florida this weekend. I think uh, LSU is, is, in, is okay. in the mix too. Um, I know he's always had, you know, some positive feelings towards Indiana. And, um, you know, I, I guess you can't really count them out at this point either. But, um, you know, probably not as much as maybe the other three that you just mentioned there, David. Can Miami make the pitch of, hey, early playing time? I think Would they that can. strike a chord? I think it, I think it can, man. And I think it's just because That's all they got right now, right? It's all, it's all they got. And I mean, really with what they're putting out there, man, I mean, you're looking a lot of these, you gotta like, remember a lot of these guys know each other. So for, I know Shamar Stewart and James Williams are, are, are pretty close, you know, for Shamar Stewart to be at hard rock stadium that Thursday night and sure things went the way they went, but he saw James Williams play, you know, as many snaps as any player on that defense, you know, like he saw one of his best friends getting after it. I mean, you see Leonard Taylor making plays late in the fourth quarter to potentially give his team a chance to win the game. Uh, you know, you see Cameron Kitchens out there almost picking off a pass in the end zone. Um, you know, you got guys, you see, I mean, Romello Brinson on the field, Brashard Smith getting the ball. Like, I think when you truly see that, yeah, like if I come here, it's like, it's probably not like a, a like an, I might be able to play. It's like, I'm probably like, there's like a 90% chance I'm going to play significant snaps at some point in my true freshman right. year. Where, where else can I do that? At Georgia? you know, you're probably going to get stashed for a year at least. At Texas A&M, you're probably going to get stashed because, you know, that's just how those guys operate. I they're mean, stacked, I think at Miami, yeah. yeah, they're stacked. And again, that's the that's the benefit. And that's also the, the you know, potentially the issue. the issue. Exactly. It could be on the depending field. on who you're dealing with. Yeah. So, you know, I could see a Shamar Stewart saying like, yeah, like I am better than who, I mean, who, who are you going to be competing against next year? Jafari, Har- I mean, an older Jafari Harvey, Chance Williams. I mean, the way they rotate, you could see, you could absolutely see an avenue for Shamar Stewart to get on the field next year for uh, Nigel Kelly to get on the field for Anthony. I mean, if Anthony Lucas comes to Miami, like, I mean, I think he is like a Leonard Taylor type of impact on the interior defensive line. And um, you know, I think he plays right away too. I mean, I think that that's Miami's pitch right now is come play. These are the freshmen that are playing and uh, that could be you. Let's transition to an article I wrote, right? Cause Last week, going into that Virginia game, Manny Diaz definitely changed up his messaging and has made it clear he wants more time to, number one, recruit, and number two, he's embracing kind of a youth movement with this team. Um, So I went back and looked, you know, starting with the Randy Shannon era, uh, how Randy Shannon, Al Golden, uh, Mark Richt as well, how they recruited in their first three full classes. So excluding the transition classes for each one of those coaches, how did they do in their first three full recruiting classes? And um, how did things go? Basically, where did things fall off in terms of on-field results? And did that have a domino effect in recruiting as well, right? So let's just, I'll just go over kind of the main talking points. The article's on Inside the U if you guys really want to go look at it. But basically, Randy Shannon and Al Golden got off to good recruiting starts in their first three years. Um, You know, Randy had the number one class in 2008. He signed five-star linebacker Arthur Brown, five-star Marcus Forston, five-star Brandon Harris, 
Sean Spence, Travis Benjamin, Tommy Streeter, Ja'Cory Harris. Um, in that first class, again, ranked number one in the country. Second class was ranked number 16, but it did have quality players, you know, uh, Ray Ray Armstrong, Lamar Miller, Olivier Vernon, Brandon Washington, Mike James, Brandon McGee. Um, and then his third class um, was ranked 14th. He had Storm Johnson, Brandon Linder, Alan Hearns, Shane McDermott, Stephen Morris, John Feliciano, Asante Cleveland, Clive Walford, and Chase Ford. And in that third season, Randy went nine and four. So the trajectory of Randy's program in those first three years, you could argue was on point, right? I think they went five wins, seven wins, and nine wins, if I remember correctly. Um, things fell off that next year, posted a seven and five record. The recruiting fell off with it. And Miami moved on to Al Golden. Al Golden, you know, he does get a lot of flack for not recruiting South Florida, which was true. I think particularly true at the end of his tenure. But if you look at his first three classes, his first three classes were pretty strong, man. Um, his first full class was ranked number 10 in the country. He had five-star Duke Johnson, five-star Tracy Howard, Dion Bush, Eric Flowers, Danny Isadora, Rayshon Jenkins. Um, second class. NFL players. Right. Second class, ranked number 14, featuring Al-Qadim Muhammad, Stacey Coley, Kevin Olson, who did not work out, but still a high, highly touted <laughs> recruit, right? Uh, Artie Burns, Cornelder, Jamal Carter, Jermaine Grace, and Gus Edwards. Um, third class, Chad Thomas, Joseph Yearby, Casey McDermott, Brad Kaya, Trent Harris, Braxton Berrios, Chris Herndon, David Njoku. So that's some serious talent he added in those first three years. Um, his third season, they went nine and four. Um, but then they backslided to, I believe, six and seven. And then the following year, things got off to a, you know, mediocre start and they got pounded by Clemson and they moved on. Um, let me ask you this, Gabby. So when you look at those first three classes from those guys and, and considering that each one of those guys got to nine and four in their third yeah. season, how do you view that? Like what we're looking back, are those classes better than you remembered or expected? Um, and, yeah. and how do they compare to what has happened here in these first two classes of the Manny Diaz era? Yeah, man. I mean, you see a lot of NFL talent, you know, you see a lot of NFL talent and the guys that have like stuck around in the NFL too, you know, I mean, Travis Benjamin, just from Randy's first recruiting class, like Travis Benjamin's still in the league. In this one, you have Ray Ray Armstrong that played a long time. Olivier, Olivier Vernon is still in the league. Lamar Miller, Brandon Linder is like the captain of the Jaguars, you know, on the offensive line. You know, John Feliciano has become, you know, one of the staples of the Bills offensive line. You have guys here that is just like, you know, they found ways. I mean, they, they just landed NFL talent and stuff like that. Like, you know, when you when you look at these, and again, I know it obviously don't work out well, but you saw the foundations being built towards that third year and how, you know, eventually when you when you add these sorts of talents, which I don't think Manny Diaz hasn't done, um, it leads to success. And like you're seeing 
Like you're obviously not seeing that under Manny Diaz. It's just like, where's the disconnect? Like, you know, I don't think my, I don't think Miami's teams are, are less talented than, than some of these, though I do think that these are some really talented teams, but, um, you know, there's obviously something missing, right? Like there has to be, I mean, there, there's, there's something that's just not working here. And, um, you know, again, I don't think the recruiting has been worse. Like, I don't think it's been, you know, significant. I mean, you're working with some talented dudes. I mean, what right. do you think, David? Like, I mean, I, I don't even know what's even like, well, not I, think that I don't the know point, what to make of this. It's just frustrating. I well, Mark like. Rick too. Let's touch on that. So he had, you know, basically it's hard to say because, you know, I guess 2017 was his first full class. It was number 12 in the country. Uh, featuring Jeff Thomas, Nabon Donaldson, Nikosi Perry, Trajan Bandy, DJ Dallas, John Garvin, Mike Harley. His 2018 class was ranked number eight. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard, Brevin Jordan, Nesta, Mark Pope, Jaron, Al Blades, Gervin, Cameron Harris, Will Mallory, Greg Russo. Um, and then that 2019, I don't know if you could put that on Mark Richt because he technically... Well, I guess they did sign in the early signing period for the yeah. most part. Um, and then he resigned or retired. Uh, but that class ranked number 27, right? So big drop off there. Um, and the results on the field also dropped off, right? Going from uh, 10 and three to seven and six. So I think the main point here, Gabby, is like, We've seen this movie before, like Manny Diaz is making this point that, hey, I need more time to recruit. I need more time to stack talent, et cetera. When you could argue, you know, guys like uh, Randy Shannon and Al Golden might have recruited talent at a higher level. I think it's debatable, but you could argue they recruited talent at a higher level than what Manny has done in these first two seasons and their trajectories didn't fall off until year four. Right. Yeah. And the, the point I'm trying to make, I guess, with this article is once the trajectory backslides, once things go in yeah. a negative direction, it's hard to get back. Right. Right. It's really hard to recruit. It's really hard to sell. And we've, we saw that again with Randy. We saw that with Al, it was going to happen with Mark Richt. I think that's a that is a big reason why he stepped away other than the health concerns, of course. Um, and so we are now in year three of Manny Diaz and it's already backsliding. Uh, you know, he did have a better second year than all these guys, except for Mark Richt. Um, but Mark Rick knew once it was screwed up in year three, it was time to step away. I don't, I'm not saying Manny Diaz is going to step away or should step away. Um, that's up to the UM decision makers to do. Um, but it's just, it's very hard to recruit at the level that Manny Diaz is asking for, you know, more time for once the on-field results are not there. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I'm just like, just looking through this, like, I feel like the NFL, like the overall like NFL talent just really drops off quickly too. So I think that there's an argument that those guys recruited better. I think there is too. Uh, you know, it's to be determined because these two classes yeah. are still early in their developments at Miami. Um, but yes, like it's not like Randy and Al recruited poorly during no. their first three years. It is kind of the point I'm making. Um, so. 
go check out that article. There's other stuff I touch on there too. Like what, what happened at other major programs where teams recruited well and didn't work out on the field in terms of results of wins and losses, et cetera. So, but let's take a break, Gabby, and we will get into more big picture stuff here in the off season, not off season in the bye week Sorry. Uh, what areas Miami can improve on moving forward. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, we're back. So where can Miami improve after this bye week? I don't know if I have great answers here, uh, but I'll let you go first on offense. What's, what's an area where you're like, okay, either because of personnel or whatever, you know, the way the schedule lays out, if you're going to say, I think Miami can improve in this phase offensively, what would it be? I mean, I'm hoping that they can improve on run, just running the ball, you know, again, just a a fresh starter. Like I'm hope I'm hopeful. I remember David that we were coming into the Virginia game and you asked like, Oh, does Jalen Knight and help Miami's running game? And I was just like, I don't know, but you know, after watching him, I think that he potentially does. And, uh, you know, I think that I think Miami could potentially have something there in him that, you know, helps Miami sort of get that rolling. Um, I think it's something that they need to do well, especially early on in games to sort of establish that to help them start quicker than they've been starting. I think that that's a massive issue is just like the way that they're coming out of the gate. It's like guarantee that Miami's going to come out flat. I think establishing the running game really uh, helps that effort of just sort of coming out of the gate rolling quicker. So, I mean, offensively, that's, um, that's where I'm looking for them to, you know, improve against North Carolina team. That's been pretty inconsistent. You know, uh, they've had, they've sure. looked really good and then they've looked really bad. Um, so I'm hope. I mean, you catch them on the right afternoon, which I can't even imagine to believe right now. 
Um, you know, anything could happen. But, um, you know, I'm looking for Miami to get the running game going. I think that, you know, with this new look offensive line-ish that we sort of saw, um, you know, with this bye week, hopefully everyone get a little bit healthier, a little bit more rested, that, you know, they come out and, you know, they're able to, to tote the rock a little bit. I agree. That's kind of what the point I was going to make. I agree with everything you said. I'll add, like, maybe just the confidence factor, too, as corny yeah. as it is to say. They at least went out and did it against Virginia. Maybe that sparks something else moving forward. Um, so I agree. I think there's a chance the run game improves. You could say, oh, it can't really get much worse. But we're, we're, talking, we're talking about <laughs> small improvements, I guess. So yeah. And, and if, if they are able to improve in the run game, it would have a massive impact on the offense in general. They need to get that run game going. Defensively, what are you, what are you hopeful about? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, some of these missed opportunities to make plays turn into them actually making the plays. Um, you know, like we're talking about these dropped interceptions. Um, you know, it seems like people are in position to make plays. Um, so I'm hopeful um, that, you know, maybe with, you know, having missed some that, you know, it really ignites guys to really finish some of those plays. And again, uh, I don't think that there's not opportunities to make plays. I just think that those opportunities are sort of just being wasted. Uh, they're just kind of missing them. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, this defense has, I think they're going to have opportunities again to make plays and just, again, just sort of finishing the drill. Uh, it's not good enough to just have a, uh, have a chance. I mean, you have to get it done in this sport. This is a, this is a do or don't do type of situation. And I think Miami again, has positioned themselves well enough to potentially become a team that creates some sort of ability to create turnovers, finish sacks, uh, rack up the tackles for loss, but they just haven't been able to either finish the tackles, uh, you know, come through with those big interceptions or just force those turnovers. So, you know, I do think that there's a chance um, for them to maybe not make up. I'm not saying this is going to become the best defensive team in the country or force their most turnovers or lead the nation in tackles for loss, but I do think that they can improve on that based on the opportunities that we've seen them have in the past. I mean, are they going to become a better tackling team in 16 days? I highly doubt it, but um, you know, I think that there is, that is an area that potentially can improve. And so that's probably what I'd point to. I would point to pass rush specifically. Um, And I point to that because I do feel like they have talent there on the defensive line, you know, I think the talent at linebacker is iffy. I think the talent at corner is okay. You know, at safety, I like the young talent and they do, they will get a boost. I think when Avante Williams is able to play. Um, But I do feel like the defensive line, you know, there is some legit talent there. And so hopefully we see more chance Williams who finds a way to make plays young defensive end. I think Leonard Taylor can make a big impact in the pass rush. Jared Harrison Hunt, when he gets back to being healthy, um, I think he can make an impact there. Nesta, when he is playing well, can make an impact in the pass rush as well. Um, and, and Elijah Roberts, I think it, it'd be good to see more of him. Um, and then there's, there's also plenty of room for improvement from Jafari Harvey, who's clearly athletic, but you know needs to maybe improve on the technique aspects of the defensive end position. So I do feel like there's more to give from the the pass rush 
I think there is potential there that they haven't quite tapped into. Um, and a lot of that group is young still, mm-hmm. and hopefully they put it together in the second half of the season. Let's talk personnel. You already kind of mentioned it, I think, with Jalen Knighton. But like, yeah. if we were going to make or highlight one personnel change, you know, coming out of this bye week, that could have the biggest impact moving forward on the team. You know, outside of I guess a fully healthy Derek King, of course, because yeah. that would change a lot. Uh, is your pick Jalen Knight? Yeah, it, it would be. Uh, again, I mean. I think we saw, I think we saw sort of the spark that he could potentially have with the offense. And, you know, again, and it feels like Miami's confident in the type of player he is. So, you know, just based on what we've seen from cam again, I think he could maybe just, I think he just gives you something else. And I know we talked about it a lot. I don't want to just touch yeah. on it a whole ton, but yeah, I would go with Jalen Knight. I'll go with Devonte Williams and yeah. he's not, he's, he's I not thought about gonna... that one, but I, I thought that would be cheating. So no, I'm not accusing you, but <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he's a, he would be a change, right? He because we haven't seen him yet. Yeah. Um, you know, he still has to serve one more game. I think this North Carolina game, and I think he will then be able to play against NC state. You know, I just think he brings a physicality that they've been missing at safety, um, a playmaking ability, something, a theme we've been touching on today. So you know, how much it's going to be interesting, honestly, how yeah. they allocate the snaps. I was going to, I was going to go directly there. Like, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how forward this is, but like, could you see a situation where like, we just saw Corey Gaynor get benched in for, like for Ja'Kai Clark, like, could you foresee a situation where Avante Williams, like doesn't like take Bubba Bolden off the field, but it's just like, we are fully hundred percent on this youth movement. Like we're doing this. Uh, I don't, I know I would, that they, they probably don't play the same like spot and stuff, but I could, I don't know. I would be surprised if it's like a straight up benching. Like, yeah, that. yeah. Not like, I know like, well, Mandy, it's never a hundred to zero or zero to a hundred. Right. Like but like, I do you, think like, though down the road where it's just like, there's something to be struggle. said for like Manny is coaching for his job. And the only bullet he really has left to play is the young guys and bang the table for more time to recruit. Right. Cause he's, he's already changed his offensive coordinator. He's changed his defensive coordinator. Um, so he has to kind of bang the table for this youth movement. Um, and so that factor to me, yeah, I would, I would still be surprised, but if he does do it, that would be the reason why, in my opinion, just because, I mean, we know by now, like Manny Diaz, I don't think he likes, you know, if there's a tie, he goes to the older guy. He doesn't go to the younger guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, which you can, we can debate about that philosophy as well. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised. So let's just, let's get into the, the hot topic now. Manny Diaz, you know, Bruce Feldman wrote about him being on the, the coaching hot seat uh, it's, it's getting warmer, you know, basically, and I, Bruce does a great job. So I'm not like throwing shade at any of this, but it, it was pretty clear from what he wrote, you know, he's getting it from either the Manny Diaz side of things or the Blake James side of things, because they made it sound like Tyler Van Dyke is the third string quarterback. Did you read any of this Gabby? 
I, I saw him talk. I saw like his, he had like, he went on like some show, right? I mean, I saw him like on TV or something like that. Yeah. Or like a clip of him on TV. And I did notice he called Tyler Van Dyke the third string quarterback. And I was like, hmm. Right. So that's not true, but he's yeah. getting that from the Manny Diaz camp or the Blake James camp. Uh, you know, he also made it clear like Miami was missing nine starters, which I think is a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, and, and they had some guys missing, no doubt. But, you know, again, we know where he's getting this information from. Nine, nine starters probably as technically like does someone that's started one game in their career suddenly count as a starter. Like, right. Like Al Blades. Right. Yeah. So, so nine guys that have started a game. Right. Starters is a little bit misleading. But again, I think the bottom line with what Bruce wrote, uh, Manny Diaz is on the hot seat, right? It's getting mm-hmm. hotter. And I think it's fair the way he phrased it. Basically, you know, the main takeaway is Manny Diaz is coaching for his job, which I think you and I would agree with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would argue that this three-game stretch after the bye week is going to play a big determining factor in whether he is the coach of the Miami Hurricanes in 2022 or not. Um, And again, it's North Carolina after the bye, hosting NC State, and then at Pittsburgh. Where, where do you draw the line, Gabby, on what record? Because honestly, like even when we thought Miami was a 9 or 10 win game or team this year, we had this three-game stretch circled then in terms of like this three-game stretch will determine whether or not Miami is a nine, eight, nine, or 10 win team this year, right? Uh, so recalibrating, obviously, that's not in play. I don't think realistically with this team. Um, what is good enough to save Manny's job, in your opinion, in this three game stretch? What record? Two and one, three and oh, one and two. I mean, to, to save his job? Yeah. How, what does he have to do? Because he's coaching for his job. If we're yeah. being real about it, what does he have to do in this three-game stretch to be like, yo, I, I deserve more time? I think it would. I think he'd have to go two and one. Okay. And I yeah, think I agree. that I, I don't think – I mean, I think North Carolina – the North Carolina game would either have to be one of the wins or it would have to be a very – like a close – a close enough game where you're like, you're not like North Carolina is just going to roll us every single year. I think next Saturday would have to be close or a win. And then you win at least one or both of the other ones. One thing that I think matters too, in this three game stretch, like the context of how the games go will absolutely matter because I think the quarterback excuse excuse is going to be there. Right. Cause Derek King status, I think is going to be up in the air all season. Um, and so the context of how the defense specifically performs in these games, I think is going to matter most. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So, you know, every FBS opponent Miami's played this year has scored at least 30 points. Are they, are they going? And again, it's an offensive game. Now the game is changing. Yeah. More and more teams are scoring 30 points. Um, but can, can Miami's offense score 30 points, you know? So they haven't the done defense, it yet against a, a power five team. Right. This defense, my Manny Diaz's defense has to play well, in my opinion, over these next three games to essentially save his job. Um, 
And I'll say this, Gabby, like, I know probably the average Miami fan isn't really paying attention to like NC state or Pittsburgh, but of these three teams in terms of, and I'm not talking talent. I think North Carolina of course is more talented than those two teams, but NC state and Pittsburgh right now are playing much better than what North Carolina is playing right now. Um, and, and I'll say this too, like if, if Manny Diaz goes zero and three in this stretch, which I think is on the table. I'll just say this, like there is a betting simulator that I look at from time to time, right? That'll give you a projected, it, it takes all the data of the season, projects a score, projects a margin, all that stuff. When, you, when I put in these three games, um, all three of those games, the simulator had Miami losing. They had UNC winning by 13 points, they had NC State winning by one point, and they had Pittsburgh winning by about six points. So Miami's going to be most likely an underdog in these games. Um, and if Miami does go 0-3, that means Manny Diaz has lost eight straight to Power 5 opponents. Is that something that can be excused? No. I think, I think if... I think if Manny goes, I think if Manny is goes winless in October, I don't it's think tough. he, I, I think that, I think it'll be, it'll be extremely tough for, I think it'll be very, I, I think it'll be extremely tough for like Miami to justify holding on to him like any further. And again, that's just me assuming, just thinking out loud, like not saying anything, but um, I mean, how do you, how do you justify that? You'd be two and six at that point. Right. Again, eight straight losses to power five opponents. Um, it's just not good enough, man. It's just not good enough. I think Manny needs to at least win two of the next three. I agree. I think, I think that's just the realistic of, 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 again, if you're talking about coaching this team in 2022. Right. I, I think there's got to be at least a two in one stretch. And in terms of matching up, let's just give a brief overview of how Miami matches up, right? Like we know about Sam Howell, North Carolina. Yes, they're not what they were last year, but I do think they're still very explosive when they are clicking. Their offensive line has been up and down this year, so the best way to get them to sputter is to sack Sam Howell. Um, defensively, you know, they've been up and down, as you alluded to earlier in the podcast, but they do have talent. Like, I, I honestly would take North Carolina's defensive talent over Miami's right now. Would you agree with that? Um. Like, I Maybe. think they have better linebackers. I think they have better corners. I think the D-line, honestly, is comparable right now. So I, I think North Carolina's talent on defense is better right now. So it's going to be an interesting game I, in terms of, like, style of play. Like, North Carolina's balanced on with rushing and passing. Miami's defense has really struggled against those type of teams here recently. Um, NC State. The thing that stands out to me about NC State is how physical they are. Like Miami is not a physical team, right? They can't block and they can't tackle. That is the total opposite of what NC State is about. They are a blocking and tackling team. Outside of Alabama, I would say they are the most physical team Miami will face this year, offense and defense. They have two good running backs. I think Zonovan Bam Knight, 
probably an NFL back. Ricky Person Jr. has a chance to be an NFL back. Um, so that's not a great matchup for Miami. You know, when you compare that to Virginia, who was very one-dimensional on offense, right? That matched up well to Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Carolina and NC State are balanced, which is I think is going to cause Miami to struggle. Yeah. Pro Football Focus has NC State as the seventh best run-blocking team in the country. Uh, they have the is that better or worse than Michigan State? Do you know? Sorry if I'm putting you on. The spot. I think it's I don't know, but I think it is better. I don't think Michigan right. State's higher. Uh, that's and that's just run blocking, not yeah. running, but run blocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also have their defense, just their total defense, uh, ranked sixth best in the country. NC State is second in the country in third down defense, 23.6% allowed. And they are only giving up 92 yards rushing per game. Like if I'm going to compare NC state for people who haven't watched them, aren't familiar with them. Like to me at the NFL level, it's like similar to the Baltimore Ravens. It's just going to be a brawl. Like it's going to be physical, physical, physical game. Um, Pittsburgh. We got to teach the people about what Pittsburgh's doing right now, Gabby. It's, it's, I, I think listeners would be surprised right now. They are the number one scoring offense in the country averaging 52.4 points per game. Quietly uh, too. Yeah, I think so. But not for long, right? Um, Pro Football Focus grades Pittsburgh as the number one passing offense in the country. So Kenny Pickett is their quarterback. You know, he's in his, what, 10th year at Pitt. Uh, he's going to leave with his doctorates in like three, <laughs> different, like three different subjects. Listen to these stats. 346 yards per game passing, 72% completion percentage, 10.3 yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns, one interception. So they are also kind of one-dimensional too, like Virginia was, but Pittsburgh also brings a defense to the table. They're number 11 in tackles for loss, averaging eight-point game or eight per game, and they're number seven in the country in sacks per game at 3.6. So I don't know, man. I don't feel good about this three-game stretch. You could tell me Miami goes two and one, one and two, zero oh and three. I could see it. I don't. I would be shocked if Miami goes three and zero. Oh. And if they do, absolutely, Manny Diaz deserves more time. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what we've seen from this Miami team through five games, and what we've seen from these other teams coming up through five games, I don't like how Miami matches up. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I, there, you can't just, you can't, I can't feel confident in any one of those games, like going into any one. Of those Which games. one do you feel like Miami has the best chance at winning? I mean, I could see, I mean, I could see NC state. I mean, they just played Louisiana Tech. Yeah. It's at home. I mean, they just played Louisiana Tech. It was like 34, 27 games. Again, that's coming off of the, the high of the Clemson double overtime wins. So that Louis, they're sort of in a letdown spot there with that Louisiana Tech game. Um, right. I'm going to be interested to see how they look. I, I believe NC State plays this weekend, right? Um, who do they got? The thing this with NC State and Miami, I do think Miami speed. We saw it last year, right? Miami speed can give NC State some issues, like Miami's offensive speed. 
can give yeah. NC State some issues. So they can get loose against them. Um, but if they're unable to get those big plays going, it's that the, the scale is going to tip to NC State's favor, in my opinion, if it's a game played in a phone booth, kind of like yeah. what NC State wants. Um, last thing, and we'll get out of here. Uh, this is just interesting to ponder, right? Because now that Manny Diaz is on the hot seat, all Canes fans, you and I have our opinions on who would be a good fit for Miami, which head coach we like the most that's out there, yada, yada, yada. I don't really necessarily want to get into that. I want to get into a discussion that I think is interesting. And, and I don't know if I really feel a certain way about this yet, but let's say hypothetically you have the choices of Miami moves on from Manny Diaz and then goes on to hire, let's just say a Marcus Freeman, who is the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, never been a head coach, or a Billy Napier, who is the Louisiana head coach, group of five level guy. Uh, would you prefer Miami to do that? Or would you prefer Miami to hold on to Manny Diaz for one more year? That's good. Um, that is good. I don't know. The thing is, like, I'm sort of like in a, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a point where it's just, I'd, I'd rather just like, if, if you're not going to go get a guy, you know, Agreed. then that's where I'm at. Just don't rush, then like, don't rush it. If you don't, if you like legitimately, like, if you really don't have the money to go get one of these big guys, let's say you can't afford whatever Manny Diaz's bio it would be or someone else is the person that you really like their buyout would be smaller next year. I mean, unless it gets like horrific, like I would just bite the bullet and say, Hey, let's try to keep this recruiting class together. Um, you know, you buy the fact that the young guys are playing and uh, you, you give them one more shot to see if they can do it. And if not, you know, you're putting your program long-term. Cause I think this is a lot, you have to make a long-term yes. decision here. This isn't like a, a decision percent. you make in like, oh, this needs to be done right now, regardless of where we're at. Like, you need to be thinking like 10 years into the future, five, 10 years into the future. Like, where's this program going to be then? And is it worth biting the bullet for one more year in order to get the guy that we believe is best suited to fill this role? And it also helps us from a financial standpoint to get it done then rather than now. So, you know, I would not make a short-term decision just because, you know, you feel like you have to make a change if you are not in a position where, you can't go get the best candidate possible. So that's, that's where I stand on all that. And um, again, it's I mean, that I agree. I'm with you. I also don't trust necessarily the decision makers to go out and find these quote unquote diamonds in the rough when they've no. <laughs> been, they've been bad at it for how many years now? Uh, you know, Miami used to be a coach making program. It's no longer that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's time to understand you got to go get a proven commodity give them the resources to, to make it work. Um, so I agree. Like I, I wouldn't, if, if Miami wants to move on from Manny Diaz, I hope the plan is to go get a proven commodity. Don't go get essentially another Manny Diaz, you know, a guy that has not done it at a Miami level school or a coordinator that's hot. So I think we're in agreement there. I, I don't, I'm curious if our listeners would agree with that take or if they're just want change for change. What do you think? I, I, I would, I would bargain that 
they would not agree with that. <laughs> okay. Based on what I see on Twitter and on the message boards, I, I doubt that anyone's thinking like that right now. Right. But they should be. I think it's the. I think it's the. Well, I get uh, it though. Like, yeah, if, I, I get it. I, I do. Like, get what's it. the point of a lame duck situation? I, I understand that, but I do think it's all about getting the coach. You have yeah. to. Get I, the I, coach. I just think it's about making the right decision rather than like the the swiftest decision. You know, it's not about just like dropping the hammer and just being like, okay, who's next? It's like, let's put ourselves in the best position to, to succeed. So we're not having these same conversations because that's the, that's the, that's the other the side. Cycle right? we're you, in. Yeah, it's, yeah. It becomes, it, we're in a, Miami is in a vicious cycle as a program. And at some point you need to cut that off. Like you need right. to be the people that say, we're going to get this right. regardless of what it takes. And if it takes one more year of this, it's better. That's better than, Four more than four more years of this, which turns into seven more years of this, and it just becomes over and over and over again. And until you make that that big decision, then you find that guy that you know that you want, then it's just going to be the same cycle over and over again. Agreed. And I'll say this too: like after that Virginia game, I re- I requested that the media could get a press conference with Blake James. I heard crickets back on that, which is disappointing. I think that's also weak leadership. This is time for leaders to lead. Uh, You know, in a way, it's not fair that Manny Diaz has to always go out and take the bullets. I think it's time for the AD to face the music with the media, answer some questions. Uh, You know, it's time to lead. So close it with that. Hopefully everyone enjoys the bye week. This was a long one, but this is the only one we're doing this week. So hopefully get your bang for your buck with just one episode. Thanks again for listening. Even though this season is frustrating, we appreciate all you guys sticking by us. Uh, Till next time, all you guys take care. Have a great weekend. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.